Namaste, friends. You are listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories of social impact leaders and innovators across diverse sectors in India. This podcast is brought to you by Cause Artist, and I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, social entrepreneur and director of Hotter World. You can connect with me on social media at Jasmine Rain. Each episode, we're exploring the challenges, successes, and opportunities within social innovation in India and helping you become a more conscious consumer in the process. So without further ado, let's jump into our episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another Impact India episode where I am again so truly grateful to be interviewing another inspiring guest. Uh, today, I'm chatting with Gayatri Jolly, founder and creative director of MasterG, the first all women design manufacturing and skill development ecosystem for the global apparel industry based in Delhi. And I love saying the word ecosystem for that because I think it totally comes all together. Um, they're also home to contemporary fashion brand Hymet. Um, Gayatri and I actually met earlier this year, oh, a lot earlier this year, um, in Mumbai at a, a conscious living panel um, at G5. Uh, and I absolutely love diving into their story and you know the impact that Gayatri's been able to make through Master G. So Gayatri, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to dive into your story. Thanks, Jasmine. Thanks for inviting me. And I'm excited to talk to you about our ecosystem. Yes. Yeah. And this is a, like a long overdue interview. We've had to cancel so many times and that's just totally the realistic world of pod- podcasts and startups. And Wi-Fi. <laughs> and Wi-Fi. Absolutely. And Wi-Fi. So to get us started, like tell us a little bit about your personal background. Um, so I grew up in Delhi in India. And when I graduated high school, I moved to Boston to study business at Babson College. I spent four years there. And then soon after I graduated and moved back to Delhi where I worked for a couple of years in my family's business, which is in FMCG products, soaps and detergents. And when I was uh, working there for about a couple of years, uh, soon after that, I moved to New York to study fashion because my heart was always in fashion. Uh, And that was about a little over two years. Um, I worked at Armani and DBF and Dennis Basso while I was there, which was a great experience. And when I was done with that, I moved back to India to launch my own brand. I was done with Parsons and I was really excited to launch a fashion line when I moved back to India after that. But when I moved back, I realized that it didn't feel, it didn't quite feel right to launch another brand. It just kind of felt like very wasteful. At that point, there was this growing realization of how wasteful the fashion industry already is and how the last thing we need is yet another brand adding to that problem. Uh, So I think, the frustration with the system was more than the passion for just simply making clothes and and not just the waste problem more than that i think what bothered me was the fact that even though there were all of these training centers and sewing centers that were filled with women or what we call silai centers uh, they were all filled with women uh, what was problematic was that when you came into a real factory or a real company you saw that the master g's were all male So I was like, wait a second, there's like a disconnect here. It doesn't really make sense. And that's when I decided that if a good designer can design anything, I might as well choose to design an ecosystem and a curriculum that's going to pull women out of this disparity situation and bring them into roles of power and roles of authority on the factory floor, which means basically the Master G is the most powerful person 
the whole all the manufacturing depends on him and his knowledge and if a woman can replace him or even just stand next to him in that position uh, i think that that shifts a lot uh, in her family and communities and in neighborhoods where there aren't role models uh, where that women can look up to Oh, that's so powerful. I, I was actually just discussing with a friend of mine how, like, if we just started to even a few more women could go into these leadership roles across multiple industries, like we were specifically talking about hospitality and tourism and how it's such a male-dominated industry as well. And if we could just start to see more women in these, in these leadership roles, it would make such an impact on the consumer. Um, and you know, it's something that I actually want to dive into, uh, before we go too much into all of this is for people, for listeners who, uh, don't know the term master G, would you mind actually just, um, like unpacking that for them? Yes, absolutely. So, um, a master G is basically a really respected, experienced man who learned pattern making and sewing on the job. So we're thinking someone who's like, who's learned from one generation to the next, right? The father teaches the son, teaches the younger brother. Uh, You're learning basically as you're growing up, because this is an oral tradition that's passed on from one generation to the next. So you literally grow up uh, learning this skill as a young boy. And as you grow older, you become an apprentice to someone who's more senior. So like we say uh, in India, it's a guru shishya parampara, like it's a tradition which is passed on from the guru to the, to the younger person. And what happens is that it's really interesting because these masterjis are made on the job. And because the word job has such a social stigma for many women in India, they never make it out there. So the whole system is such that it prevents women from entering this particular role because of the way that the system is designed. The system is so broken that the women can't even enter. So because you think that, well, if a master is making patterns, like how complicated could the patterns be? And, um, and for those who don't, are not from the garment industry, I'd like to talk a little bit about what patterns are. Uh, before you cut fabric, you cut a piece of paper mathematically. And that piece of paper is called a pattern. And then that pattern can cut like hundreds of thousands of uh, pieces of fabric. So just cutting that piece of paper in its in and of itself is such a revolutionary act for a woman at this point, at least in North India, because that's just something women don't learn, don't get to learn because the system is such that it doesn't, uh, it just keeps the women out systematically. Mm-hmm. Um, so a master G is basically coming back to your original question. Master G is a colloquial term, which is used as a mark of respect and a title almost earned by somebody who spent his whole life 15 years, just, you know, working on the job, um, often being exploited in exchange for his labor, teaching, being taught in exchange uh, of his labor. And then this man reaches this point where he earns this title and then he's the pattern maker eventually. This is like the perfect transition into understanding how your training programs work. Um, You know, how, how do you take these women who are not familiar with this kind of leadership role and help them through this process? So it's really beautiful how the classroom is set up because those very ustads or masterjis are hired by us and they come into a role where they now have to train the next generation of masterjis, but they're all women. And it's in a classroom and it's in a safe space where the women can come and be themselves and express themselves. And the curriculum is layered. So obviously the foundation is the technical expertise. They, by the time they get out from the program, they have to be technically very strong but it's layered on top with a lot of social emotional 
uh, factors. Because, you know, what's holding the women back is not that they can't learn pattern making or that they can't fundamentally be master Gs. What's holding them back is how they view themselves and how people around them view them as authority figures. So it's really important to talk about the mindset and focus on changing that mindset. So we use this design education as a tool to question the patterns that are holding the women back. So if we go into uh, the design of the curriculum a little bit, um, we teach the women things like skirts and pants and dresses. And when we, let's say we give them a simple skirt and we say, this is, here's a skirt. And here's a simple skirt, but you can't design it this way. You have to make it your own way. And you have to question how a basic skirt is made and then make it your own way. And, you know, when they repeat that process into pants and dresses and kurtas and everything over the course of the year, something really, really beautiful happens. They start to do this out in the world. They, they realize that we can ask questions about anything and we can redesign stuff, including our lives and including the way we live our lives. And I think that's, that's what's really powerful about the training programs. Yeah, it sounds like it's like an incredible critical and design thinking challenge um, that they're able to really, um, you know, use for, you know, for, for gaining perspective a- across other areas of their lives. Like that's, that's absolutely beautiful. And, and I'm curious, you know, if there's such a social stigma around, you know, these women even taking up employment, employment in, in the fashion industry, um, you know, how, how are you engaging women to actually take on these training programs? So we had to actually set up our own factory because after training a lot of women, we realized that the industry doesn't trust women, women on the cutting table. Mm. So the only way for us to convince them was to actually show them. Uh, so we set up our own factory a year and a half ago in Delhi. And this factory only hires from the training centers. And I manufacture our in-house brand called Heimat. And we also manufacture for over 50 um, international fashion brands. Most of whom are, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy and it's amazing and we love it. And the girls are great. They are passionate and they're just so happy to be uh, independent financially and otherwise. Um, and, and, you know, it's, these, these brands are our allies. These brands are making sure that this supply chain thrives and, and lives because without the customers, without having that validation of repeat orders, I don't think that an ecosystem like this can survive. So it's rooted in sustainability in that we know that season after season, brands are coming back to us to manufacture with us, not only because they believe in, in the way that the, our ecosystem runs, but because the quality is really good. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it does sound like building connection and trust is like a huge, huge part of this process because obviously it's so easy for any brand to start up and just start working with any supplier. And, you know, if you don't really have a connection or build any empathy with who you're working with, like it, you, you, you can, it could be anything, anything could be happening behind the scenes. Um, like, and again, I, I know this is something we wanted to talk about was, is transparency. And uh, it, it does sound like, um, it does sound like social media has been a really, a, a really great platform for you to, for, for you to connect with these brands and customers. And I'm, I'm curious to, you know, their initial, their initial reactions to like interacting with you and, um, you know, what they're coming across on social media and maybe even, maybe even like some stereotypes and stigma that might be coming up when you are working with these brands. Would you mind like kind of unpacking that as well? Yeah, sure. So um, what's interesting about trust is that transparency creates that trust. And because we're really 
active on social media and people always know which brands we're working with and who's making whose products. I think um, we're really open about how we do things and that really helps brands trust us. And the best part is that brand, a lot of brands find us on Instagram and they discover us on Instagram when they're searching for uh, ethical factories in India. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's not easy when you're a brand overseas to find a factory in a different country and just start working with them because there are so many malpractices going on and you never know, uh, like you said, what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And so many of our brands, the designers actually come, come to the factory, have lunch with all the makers, uh, just hang out, build relationships. Uh, we have a, some of our oldest customers will go with the makers to their homes and have dinner with them. And it's just, you know, what's most important about this is just the relationships, to be very honest, because our brands who we call our allies, our partner brands, they're in this with us. And that's the best part. It's not, it's not like a supplier vendor relationship. It's like, we're in this together and we have to change. We have to fix this problem that's existed for so many generations for no reason. So that's the best part about the brands that we work with. They believe in uh, the higher, the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. That's so beautiful. And I'm such a fan. And one thing that I'm curious about too is, you know, I think it's so interesting for me coming, I mean, I've been here for a while in India, but um, like back at home, I don't really know many men that actually work in uh, the fashion the fashion industry, especially from more of like, you know, smaller brands, startup brands, um, like in my home city of Toronto. Um, and, and I'm curious, like when, when you do come across some of these larger brands, like is, are they aware that like it's, it's such a male dominated industry specifically in South Asia? Um. I mean, we work with small to medium brands because the larger brands uh, just manufacture at larger factories. So I'm not, I mean, I'm sure they're aware because it's just common knowledge at this point. It's just like one of those things you get used to accepting. It's such a, such an accepted practice that, that no one ever stopped to ask why. But what happened in 2015 was I feel like I saw something that I couldn't unsee anymore. And most often, like a lot of things, you just you live with things that you never question because you've always lived with them. And subconsciously you just process it as, uh, Oh, this is, this has always been this way. So you don't even question it. So I'm not sure that, of course, I'm sure that brands are aware. I I'm not sure that, uh, it is being questioned. Okay. I'm, I'm, it's such an interesting topic just because, um, uh, like for you, it's definitely easy for you to observe that like, yeah, this is like common sense, but for a lot of people, it's still like, oh, I didn't even realize this was such an issue. Um, and I think that that's becoming every, obviously there's a lot more awareness coming about it now, but it's definitely still something that, um, is not as widely known in regards to women kind of not being part of any, uh, really the, the supply chain in general. Um, so, and I'm curious to now kind of go into connecting this to the, um, you know, your environmental impact. Um, I, I understand that you also work with uh, quite a few sustainable textiles. Am I correct? Uh, we do with uh, several brands uh, who choose to get fabric woven from weaver communities across the country. And then they send the fabric to us that's specially woven for their collections. And then we manufacture from those um, handwoven fabrics. And sometimes they're hand dyed with vegetable dye. So we have uh, a bunch of really great sustainable brands that we work with. And do you guys do dyeing in-house as well or just the design um, no, we in manufacturing? We don't, dye, we don't dye in-house. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. So, and, and I guess in building out more of your supply chain, I'm curious, I, I was just talking about supply chain, um, like a, a management today as well. It's just, you know, so how do you yourself go about making sure that you are connecting with people, uh, across India, different, different organizations, um, to ensure that your end client is, is getting exactly what they're looking for. Like, do you have some kind of vetting process that you put in place? Like, how do you really go about making sure that you're working with the right people to ensure the product you're delivering is like, you are able to be transparent and authentic about what is happening behind the scenes? Um, we manufacture everything in house. So we have complete control over who's making it, um, and what kind of processes and environment it's being made in. As far as the fabric is concerned, um, you know, you, you make sure that you source it from responsible vendors. And uh, to the extent possible, you, you go as far as possible in the supply chain. So from my understanding, um, like you have, like, it doesn't seem like there, there's any challenges for you in connecting with like helping your, your client, your end clients connect with other suppliers to make sure that they're getting what they're looking for. Is that what I'm, is that what I'm hearing? So most of our design designers, the partner brands, they have their own sources of, for fabric. Uh, and then they source the fabric and they give it to us. And that's when our work begins. Okay, I understand. So there, you, you guys are just handling this one aspect of the business. And it like, and that's kind of just like, that's where you're like the warriors of it because you, you, everything's in-house and you don't need to worry about anything else. That mm -hmm. makes sense. Amazing. So I guess in... In this whole process, you know, what have you found to be, uh, like, now that you've been doing this for like two, two years, just over two years, um, you know, how can, when you look back, how have you seen, you know, the, the awareness and the education and the impact, um, you know, how, do you, how have you seen it uh, progress, you know, within your own organization, but as well as in the industry and people becoming a lot more aware and understanding the impacts of fashion? Uh, so I'll answer that in two parts. First, yeah, please do. I feel like uh, when you when you look at a problem and you build a business around solving it, your initial understanding of the problem is very black and white, and it's very simplistic. And as you go deeper and deeper into the work, you start to see nuances, and you start to build parts of the business to solve all those nuances. So I feel like what's been really beautiful and fun about the process of building Mastery and building this whole community has been that every few months I come across a new aspect of it, which keeps things really interesting for me. And um, that's how I'm able to discover new business verticals within Master G that can solve different problems. So earlier when the training programs have always been uh, manual and very physical in the classroom, now we're getting into incorporating technology so that we can reach women in remote areas as well. And this was something I realized much later Initially, I didn't think we would ever need that or ever be able to use that. But as we went along, we started to get requests from so many different corners of the country that we couldn't reach because we were so, um, we just needed so much space and everything to be a training program. And then we realized that we need to start building a digital presence as far as the education is concerned. So we can reach women in rural Gujarat or, or Rajasthan for that matter. So um, I think that's been a really exciting part of the process. And the thing about awareness is that um, the more we talk about the problem and in a way that we not only talk about the problem, but also pose a sustainable solution, I think that's the best way to talk about the problem and to counter the issues that fast fashion poses. So we, through our work, I feel like the way that the product is going into stores and the product that we make is going into um, places where product made in this way never went. Uh, the conversations are happening about 
things happening in a different way than they were happening before. So, for example, Heimat, our brand, sits next to brands in multi-brand stores that have been that have been around for so long and, and brands that I respect very much. And and to be able to sit there is an act of is an activism in itself. And it's mm-hmm. it's an act of rebellion to say we're gonna do it differently and we're going to do it in a way that uh, we can put a price point to it where the customer will pay and appreciate not only the process but also the design. So I think the way to really um, challenge a system is to design a new system that counters that in a sustainable way. And how big is your team currently? Because uh, it sounds like you know you're you're still doing you're also doing medium sized um, like you're working with medium sized brands. So you must have a decently big team. Yeah, so our team is actually divided in uh, into manufacturing and the training team. Okay. So our training team is about um, nine to ten people, and the manufacturing team is uh, about twenty people. Oh, that's actually still quite small. It's really impressive what you've been able to accomplish in two years. With like, I would expect it; it would have been like at least double the size of that. That's incredible. Yeah, I think we're all just really overworked and tired. Yeah. <laughs> But also really I'm passionate, but that's, that's the startup scene. <laughs> yeah. And, and that something is, that I'm actually, startup life. yeah. And, and I'm curious because as a startup, you know, especially with social media being such a huge platform for you to get uh, your, your story, your vision, your work out there. You know, do you have a specific team that does your marketing or are you like the, you know, Jack of all trades? Are you wearing like 16 hats right now as the, uh, as the founder and creative director kind of taking on all aspects of that? I give the design direction and in general, like the strategy and direction for social media, but I have a bunch of um, young people that, that help me in doing the social media. So they're really great at it. That's incredible. And, and do you leverage like working with like young students as well to like get them involved so that they can kind of just be part of, because I, I think that the biggest, one of the, the greatest values I think of the startup scene right now, specifically in India, is it's so booming and everyone's doing such innovative work. It's so crucial for young people to be taking up uh, placements um, with organizations like yours so they can truly understand the power that business can have as a force for good. Yes, um, I love working with young people. Our entire team, not just uh, the makers, the girls, but everyone is so young. I feel like most of the people on our teams are like below 25 and oh, then wow. the, others, the others are between 25 and 35. I don't think we have anyone older than that. And everyone is really passionate and energetic, which is what I love about the team. And <laughs> You know, there are students coming out of really interesting school, design schools. There's a, there's a college where we often get young people, uh, where we hire young people from. It's called the Design Village in Noida. It's a great school because they have a non-siloed approach to design education, which we totally resonate with. And they don't look at design as, uh, as learning ornamentation, but it's, it's like, how are we going to solve XYZ problem uh, using design, uh, you know, as a as a medium. And that's exactly how Masterji has been built as well. So when students come from there, they're not necessarily focused on one aspect of design, but they're focused on solving a problem. And a lot of different young people, I don't necessarily uh, hire from top schools. I don't think that's the criteria. I think the criteria is how passionate you are and how, how much you can teach yourself on the job, because there's so much new stuff to be learned that you don't necessarily learn at school. A hundred percent. I think like traditional education 
uh, models are not necessarily totally fitting into like this next generation of business because there's so much more that needs to be evaluated. Like, you know, having a triple bottom line is the way that business needs to move forward in order for us to live in a sustainable world. And I, I 100% agree with you. And this is the first time I'm hearing of the design village. So I'm definitely going to check them out because th that sounds fabulous. Um, and like getting young people to really like use design thinking, I think is, is huge. Um, and I think it's, sorry, I'm, I'm really like fangirling over this because I just think the fact that you have such a, a thorough uh, like training program and that you have these opportunities is so fantastic. And, you know, I, I'm curious to, you know, after working with all these amazing people, I'm sure you've seen maybe a little bit of turnover at this point. You know, what have you, what have you found to be kind of like the outcomes and, and, you know, next steps of the people who have worked with you, unless everyone's still there, which I, I wouldn't doubt either, but just curious if there's anything that some of your team members go on to do that, that's super inspiring, just like thanks to the programs that they have available through Master G. I think the biggest thing that uh, the people who leave walk away with is the ability to navigate their lives uh, with authority and confidence and to know what they want. Because I think that what the Master G ecosystem gives you beyond everything else is the ability to listen to your inner voice and to define what it is that's going to give you happiness. So the course not just will not just teach you how to make clothes, which I think is the work to be done. But I think the real work to be done is to be able to navigate your life, which is something that women, young women living in, um, especially low income communities, low education communities, it's, it's, a, it's almost like you've never experienced that kind of freedom. And a thing with a freedom like that is that if you have it, you just take it for granted, or you don't even think of it. Yeah, but sure. if it's taken away from you, you'll fight for it. Um, just the freedom of uh, navigating your life the way you want and even knowing what you want. Because when I ask the girls, when I first meet them, what is your dream? And I ask everybody this, what is your dream? The new, the new students that join, the most heartbreaking thing is silence and confusion in response to that question, because it means that you've never thought of your, thought about yourself as a human being who needs to have a life of purpose and have complete life. And I think that's, that's my biggest, um, that, for me, that's the biggest thing. If someone walks away, it means they, they are looking for a different purpose or different direction in life. But if they can take away this much, um, having spent however, how much ever time with me, that's, that's all that I really, really care about. That's really powerful. Wow. What a statement. Yeah. And I, I think that's like the absolute best thing that you can provide to, to a, a young woman who, you know, who, has, you know, has, there is opportunity, there is, you know, especially with organizations like yours, there's so much opportunity now, you know, becoming more available, but it's one, it's hard to, it can be hard to access. It can be hard to find. It can be hard to like, it can be hard to have the confidence to even get started in a program like this. So uh, I think that's absolutely so beautiful. And something that I'd like to also dive into uh, before we start wrapping up is, you know, with uh, at what point did you kind of introduce your own like homegrown brand, uh, HiMet, into the process? And, you know, how has that been, you know, perceived by the general public? You know, where, where is that selling? Kind of what is, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about um, the, the journey of the brand by itself. The brand started about a year ago and it started when we set up our own factory and I felt like we had enough girls ready so that if the orders started coming in, we would have the capacity to manufacture. So I was building Master G for three years and I just wanted to be ready uh, to launch the brand only with the girls. I had decided that I'm not going to hire from the industry at all. And the way to convince the industry that we're onto something here is if I put my, my name on the product that they're making. Mm. 
Um, and that's what I did. Every single piece that I designed is made by the girls from the moment of, of inspiration to concept. I almost also in, involve them in the design process a lot of times. They suggest what seams would work, what kind of sleeves would work. And I love that collaborative process. Um, and, and that's how Heimat was born. It was born out of uh, really the desire to give the girls a space that they could, where they could nurture themselves. And Heimat in German means homecoming or belonging. And, and that's really what, what Master G is. It's like, it's like a place where you can be yourself. And, and at this point, we sell Heimat at multi-brand stores across India. Um, it's about 10 different stores. They're all listed on our website in different cities. Uh, we sell online as well on our own website. And of course, people are most welcome to come by the studio and, and meet the girls and meet me. And, and we're, we're happy to uh, make something for everyone. Oh, I need to come by. Absolutely. Yes. I would <laughs> you love must. to absorb to observe everything. It's it's just sounds I feel like I'd walk away very emotional. I think <laughs> most of these podcast episodes I always end up being I'm always super emotional and inspired by the end of it. Um it just That's there's so many you're inspiring yourself. This podcast <laughs> is fifty percent you. <laughs> well, I honestly like I started this because I love hearing these stories and I just think that they're I honestly still think there's not enough there's not enough space, not enough platforms sharing the stories of impact that are happening on the ground. And I think India is so powerful because it has like the world's largest like youth population. And there is so many young people doing in like these incredible innovative projects and it, it needs to be shared. Um, so I really just did this to myself, becoming emotional. It's <laughs> yes. all my fault. I, I agree with you. <laughs> Um, but in regards to Heimat, I, I'm, I'm curious, so why did you choose that name? Like, why specifically a German word? Uh, so it's a word that I came across in 2007 when I was in college, and it has stuck with me ever since. And is, is there a little bit of a story behind that? Like, are, can we hear? Is it a little bit too personal or anything like this? No, it's not too personal, <laughs> but it's, it might just make me come across as really nerdy. So, but I can still share it, I guess. It's a, it's a word I came across in, at a freshman year class at Babson. And okay. I was in uh, Professor Goldberg's class and it was, I believe it was an arts class and I'm forgetting the exact name and she's, if she hears this, she'd be so disappointed. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's where I came across the word and I just loved the meaning and I loved what it made me feel. Mm. And it's, it's uh, mostly it's the thought of creating that for somebody else um, through your work and the privilege that I have to be able to create a high math for so many girls and women, uh, which I think is a gift in and of itself that I've, that I have the education that I have, that I have the world that I have so that I can create that for somebody else. And I thought there was no better word in the world or in the English language that could capture that emotion. So I, I used the German word. Oh, I love it. And I actually, you know, it's funny. I, I actually think the English language sucks compared to <laughs> like every other language. Like there are just so many more beautiful, beautiful terms languages. out there. Like I can't even believe it. Like sometimes when I, when I hear, when I hear try, people try to like translate specific words into English, I'm like, eh, that doesn't sound as beautiful in our language. Yeah, like it's so capture. hard. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm not even doing a good job of translating Heimat. I feel like there are better ways to explain well, it. Well, it sounds like it, it, it has like, you, you can kind of, uh, it can be individualized as well, like depending on how, like it sounds like you have this really beautiful connection with it as well. And I think the story that comes along with it helps kind of create a context around why you would choose Heimat um, as the yes. brand name. Definitely. Um, and I think it, you make it your own. Once you choose a word, it becomes your own because of the ways in which you use it. Yeah. And I read a lot. I read a lot of books and papers about the word in, in itself because it has a lot of historical connotations which are not necessarily positive given our history. 
So <clears throat> I did talk to a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, I did talk to a lot of German people as well and just wanted to make sure I'm not appropriating mm. a word that's not from a native language for me. And surprisingly, and, and I'm glad most German people said that it fundamentally is an innocent word, even though it has so many negative connotations from history. So go ahead and use it, <clears throat> even though you're not a native German speaker. And as long as you make it your own, uh, it's not really appropriation. So. Yeah, I think that's a powerful uh, little little monologue you just gave there for, I, I think if there's any anyone listening now who's kind of going through the startup process and the naming process for their brand, I, I think that's something really important to take into consideration. Like when you are bringing other languages that are not your native language into your branding and marketing, it's so important to understand the connection towards the communities that do use those words and those phrases to ensure that, you know, you are respecting uh, that local community or, or that global community sometimes, obviously. But um, so that's really powerful. Thank you for thank you for saying that, and thank you for also doing the work around it to ensure that you were bringing something respectful um, to the market. Um, honestly, I feel like I could I could ask you so many questions, and I feel like I'm probably going to just come in and ask you them and just drive you crazy. Um, <laughs> you should but, come by. Yes, I will. Love you. Absolutely. Um, so I guess for our listeners, before we wrap up, like, you know, if people are looking to connect with Master G, connect with Hymet, like, how can they find you? Um, shoot me an email. Uh, I'm at Gayatri at masterg.in, Master G with the letter G. And if you're looking to buy the brand, it's shophymat.com, which is spelled shop, H-E-I-M-A-T.com. Um, so that's, you can reach out to me uh, over email or Instagram, just send me a DM. Either way, mm-hmm. I'd be happy to hear from you. Everyone's going to be sliding into your DMs, asking you all the questions, (laughs) getting to know you. Awesome. And for our listeners, I will be putting all this information in the show notes so you can connect. Gayatri, thank you again so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you you so much. This superwoman. So I know you have a busy schedule. I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy, busy day. I love talking to you and I look forward to having you over. I can't wait. I'll bring chai. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Huh, feeling inspired? See what other impact stories we have to share over on causeartist.com. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways, and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India. Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Rain. Cheers, friends! <laughs>